Hello and welcome to this, the fifth episode of the Collective Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, Mikey Kempling. This is the Collective Sci-Fi Podcast. Prepare to be absorbed. In this week's episode, I'm going to be cracking on with the Collective Sci-Fi serial, which is War, uh, the first book in the colonisation sci-fi series, Colony B. For previous episodes of this serial... Please check out wherever you normally get your podcasts. So we are on just about everything that you can think of at the moment. If there's a service that this podcast isn't available on, please let me know and I'll make sure I fix it up if I possibly can. But, you know, we're on uh, we're on all the iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on all those kinds of places. Or you can just play it at the site at thecollectivesci-fi.com where there are, there are things there you can sign up for and it will even send you the episodes via email if you wish. It's all there, it's all automatic, it all works, so hopefully that's nice and easy. So I'll get on with the serial. Chapter 8. The Hill Connor peered through the pre-dawn gloom, keeping his eyes on Finn as the younger man bobbed through the mist, apparently making easy work of the rough terrain. We shall be there soon, Connor thought. The damned container can't be much farther, can it? He gritted his teeth and plodded onward. The rough track had petered out half a mile back and the steep slope was littered with loose boulders and pockmarked with holes that seemed determined to trip him up. To make matters worse, the hillside was swathed in the chill mist that curled around every curve in the landscape, blending the solid ground with the inky sky. Connor hesitated, scanning the rocks ahead, searching for a landmark. Damn! He wasn't as good at this as he used to be. He called out to Finn, Hey, is the container just downhill from here or, or is the mist playing tricks on my eyes? Finn stopped and turned to face him. Yeah, we should head straight down, but we'd be heading on to the scree. Not so easy if you aren't used to it. Connor narrowed his eyes and peered down the hillside. It wasn't too steep here, but the countless loose stones covering the slope formed a treacherous carpet at least two feet deep. It wouldn't be easy to descend, but it wasn't anything the team hadn't handled before. So what was Finn playing at? Is he planning to take the pretty way around on my account? Connor wondered. Or is the son of a bitch trying to make me look bad? He caught up with Finn and stood at his side. Then he waited for Parry and John to join them. Parry, I'd like you to lead us for a while. Take us down to the container. Parry nodded and set off immediately, heading straight down the slope. Finn, bring up the rear, Connor said. Yeah, Finn replied, no problem. He looked like he wanted to say more, but he kept his mouth shut for once. The group trudged downhill, watching the ground. The loose shards of stone slipped beneath the worn soles of Connor's boots and chunks of dislodged gravel pattered down the hillside, bouncing from rock to rock and disappearing into the darkness. Connor placed his feet carefully. If he wrenched his ankle now, it would be bad for him, but worse for the team. Below, Parry was taking no chances. He set a fast pace, but led them on a gentle descent, zigzagging across the slope. Even so, a drop of sweat trickled from Connor's eyebrow, and he wiped his hand across his forehead, then stole a glance back at John and Finn. All right, boss? Finn asked and there was the hint of a smile tugging at the younger man's lips, as if he was enjoying Connor's discomfort. Fine, Connor snapped. 
He returned his attention to the path ahead, but not before he registered that Finn wasn't sweating, wasn't even breathing hard. Coming through, Finn called out, and he must have passed John because he appeared at Connor's side. Connor frowned. Finn, I told you to bring up the rear. Sure, I'll go back in a second, but I wanted to talk to you about something. And you always say, if there's anything... Go ahead, Connor interrupted. This wasn't the time or the place for a discussion, but he made a point of listening to the concerns of everyone in the patrol team. The entire group, some 40 souls, was made up of volunteers, and if he didn't run it right, if he didn't hold the men and women together, the team would dwindle and die. What I said last night, Finn began, I wasn't trying to get out of this trip. I was just thinking of Una. I didn't want to disturb her this morning. She has enough on her plate. You're right there, Connor said. How many kids did the man have? Was it three or four? Don't get me wrong, Finn said. I'm not complaining. The kids are a handful, but they're great. It's just, you know how it is. You need a bigger house. Connor smiled to himself. I've done it now, he thought. Why didn't I keep my mouth shut? Exactly, Finn said, as though astounded at Connor's perceptiveness. Did I mention this before? You've talked to the council? You bet, Finn replied, but by the time they make their minds up, the kids would have grown up and want homes of their own. Connor gave a non-committal grunt. Dear God, he thought, don't let him drag me into an argument. All right, Finn, thanks for letting me know. You'd better get back into position. No need, Finn replied. Looks like Perry's stopping here. Oh yeah, Connor said. He raised his voice and called out, Everything all right, Perry? Perry stopped walking and slid his rucksack off his shoulders. Yeah, but we should take a break here. Connor went forward to join him. I'm okay to carry on. I think we should just keep going until we get to the container. We can rest when we get there. Perry shook his head. Up here is better. We're out of sight and we're far enough from the wall that we can breathe easy for a few minutes. How long to the container from here? Connor asked. At this pace? Ten minutes, no more than that, Perry replied. We can still be suited up and down at the wall by sunup. Okay, I'm convinced. Connor eased the straps from his rucksack and swung it to the ground next to Parry's. We'll stay here for a while, guys. We should all have something to eat and drink. Go take a leak if you need to. Won't be long before we put the suits on. John and Finn slipped off their rucksacks and all four men looked for places to take the weight off their feet. John and Finn sat alone, but Connor joined Parry, perching on the edge of a flat rock. Connor rummaged in his rucksack and grabbed his lunchbox and his bottle of water. He took a bite of cold crow meat, grateful that Callum had ignored his instruction to give him only bread. Then he gazed down the hill while he chewed. I reckon the mist is clearing. Yeah, that's how it goes around this time of day, Parry said. Kind of weird. Back on earth the mist always got burned off by the sun. Here it disappears before dawn. Something to do with a mineral in the rock and ions in the air. According to John, anyway. He took a swig of water, then glanced at Connor as if studying his expression. Are you all right? Connor exhaled noisily. Yeah, it's just been a long time since I put an EVA suit on. Too long. He looked down at the food in his hand, his appetite suddenly gone. Truth be told, I haven't worn a suit since... since we lost the Campbells. Parry stared at Connor. That was a long time ago, and you know damn well you did your best. We all did. They were set in a course, Connor. They were determined. 
Even if we'd stopped them, they would have just waited until no one was watching and gone ahead anyway. Connor closed his eyes and tried to picture the faces of the Campbell family, trying to recall what they'd look like when they'd set up home in the settlement. He remembered their names. Gail and Chris Campbell had been a sweet young couple and devoted to their two small children, Timmy and Sarah. But try as he might, Connor couldn't recapture their carefree faces. In his mind's eye, all he could see was the way they died. The Campbells had got it into their heads that they could make it across the lowlands. They were sure they could branch out and find a better life beyond the hill. They'd evidently planned the whole thing, taking provisions and even stealing some suits from a storage locker. But they hadn't understood the different grades of suit and they hadn't even known how to put them on correctly. So from the moment they'd climbed over the wall, the Campbells hadn't stood a chance. One of the patrol team up on the lookout had spotted the young family straight away and Connor had reacted fast. Along with a handful of volunteers, he'd suited up and chased after the Kembles, but all his efforts had earned him was a ringside seat to a nightmare. The Kembles had walked slowly, trudging across the sticky mat of grunge that coated the lowlands for miles in every direction, their heads turning from side to side like tourists taking in the view. Perhaps they'd been happy, excited to explore this new world. Perhaps they'd felt free for the first time in years. But they couldn't have known that their dreams were about to unravel before their eyes. The two children had been the first to feel the effects of the grunge. The adults had donned their flight suits and helmets, and that had given them some protection. But perhaps the Kemble children had outgrown the protective clothes they'd been issued with on the ship because the youngsters were wearing basic hazmat suits and respirators. Connor had often asked himself why. Hazmat suits were made from polyethylene and surely even back then they'd all known that the grunge attacked plastic. But Connor would never discover what led the Kembles to be so impulsive. On that terrible day, he'd run as fast as he could, but in front of his eyes, the children's grunge-spattered suits had begun to fall apart, the thick plastic cracking, disintegrating as it was eaten away. And then the grunge must have swarmed in, creeping swiftly across the children's skin. The grunge could metabolise any type of organic tissue, reproducing rapidly whenever it found a food supply. Getting even the slightest trace of grunge on your skin was like being scalded. For the Kemble children, with the grunge crawling freely over their young bodies, the pain must have been excruciating. When the children had cried out, their screams had been muffled by their respirators, but their parents had clearly heard them because they'd picked up their children, holding them close. And what happened next was burned into Connor's memory. In a moment of blind panic, the adults must have thought their children's respirators had failed, must have wanted desperately to save their kids. And while Connor's team were just 20 yards away racing across the grunge and yelling as loud as their lungs would allow, the adult Kembles had pulled off their own helmets and tried to fit them to their screaming children. A heartbeat, and then Gail and Chris Kemble had realised their mistake. Don't blame yourself, Perry said. He put his hand on Connor's arm. Come on, have something to eat, you'll feel better. Connor opened his eyes. Sure, I am fine. Don't worry about it. He concentrated on his food, forcing himself to take a bite of crow meat. He tore the flesh from the bone with his teeth, 
and while he chewed he thought of Callum, Siobhan and Helen waiting at home. Get it together, he told himself. You're no use to anyone like this. He dropped the clean bone into the lunchbox and picked up a chunk of root bread. He really didn't want it, but something told him he was going to need his strength. It was going to be a long day. Over there, Parry pointed to their right. The sun was still below the horizon, but the sky had already lightened a little, and Connor could just make out the grey-green shipping container nestling against the hillside, its colour blending with the scree as though it had always been there. If only, Connor thought. It had taken 30 people working together to get the damn thing into position. Most of the freight containers had stayed safely in the main cargo bay until touchdown, but their craft's descent through the planet's atmosphere had been rough. Turbulence had battered the lander so hard, Connor had been convinced the whole thing would fly apart. But all they'd lost was a door on a side bay, and even that hunk of tortured metal had stayed in place long enough to avert disaster. Only three containers had fallen from the side bay, and they still lay scattered on the hillside. Two had been damaged beyond repair, and were later stripped down to make parts for the wall. But this one had remained intact, and with a bit of nudging to make it stable, it had turned out to be pretty useful. Parry led the way across the slope. They were all used to walking on the loose stones now, and they moved quickly. Within two minutes they'd made it to the container and the team waited while Connor unlocked the heavy padlock and heaved the metal door open. Let's move fast, guys, Connor said. It'll be light soon. The men filed inside, then dropped their rucksacks and went straight to the crates where the units were stowed. No one spoke. Each man focused on a silent ritual, checking and double-checking seals and seams. Connor inspected his EVA suit carefully for damage. The white fabric was multi-layered and incredibly tough. Designed for planetary exploration, the outer layers were made from a blend of the strongest fibres known, and fortunately, they were aluminised. If there was one thing the grunge didn't care for, it was metal. It all looks okay, Connor thought, but one day it'll get a nick or a tear, and what then? He ran his hands over the fabric one last time. They had no way to repair the suits. When the last one wore out, there'd be no way to go beyond the wall, no matter what happened. They'd just have to stay on the hill and hope the wall held out. There'd be no other choice. Connor removed his belt along with his hunting knife in its sheath and the sonic pistol in its holster. He checked the pistol over, making sure it was in safe mode and the cell was inserted correctly. It had been a while since he'd carried it and the weapon felt heavy and awkward in his hands. He put it down on the top of his empty crate, and when he looked up, he caught John watching him. Do you think we'll need them? John asked. I doubt it, Connor replied, and now the men were all watching him, their eyes sharp as tacks. I can't rule it out, though. We might need to show someone we mean business. Too right, John said. But we'll only use weapons as a last resort, Connor added. I don't want to get into a fight unless we can't avoid it. Got it, Parry said, climbing into his EVA suit. We'll buddy up in a second and check everything's sealed. John and Finn, you check each other. I'll work with the boss. Good plan. Connor stripped down to his shorts and T-shirt, then eased his legs into his suit and pushed his hands through the sleeves. Already a layer of perspiration was clinging to his skin, but that should vanish once he activated the suit's life support system. Providing the cooling circuit still works, he thought. 
The life support backpacks were kept on a rack at the back of the container, permanently connected to a photoelectric panel on the container's roof. The patrol team should have been testing them every week, but had they been rigorous in their duties? Parry, do I need to check the life support units? No, they should be good to go, Parry replied. I checked them three days ago, all fine. Good man. Collar rolled his shoulders and flexed his arms, getting used to the suit. Then he fitted his boots and checked the ankle seals. Wait a minute, boss. Parry squeezed past him, then returned carrying two life support backpacks. Between them, they fitted each other's backpacks and checked each other's suits, paying special attention to the fastenings and seals. John did the same with Finn. If I were you, I'd put your pistol in a pocket, Parry said. The holsters are a pain in the ass when you're wearing gloves. OK. Connor slipped his pistol into a pocket on his right leg and stowed his compact binoscanner scanner in a pocket on his left, checking that both were secure. He left his knife in the crate. There was no easy way to carry it, and there was always a chance the blade might nick his suit. Your suit's good to go, Parry said. Good job, boss. Old habits die hard, huh? I guess so. Connor licked his dry lips, then pulled on his gloves and fastened the seals. All right, everybody. Ready to fit helmets? Yes, boss, they chorused. Okay. Connor took a deep breath, his last breath of fresh air for a few hours. Finn, since you're not armed, I want you to bring up the rear. Parry, you take point and find us a good place near the wall. I want to get a clear look at these people without being seen, okay? Got it, Parry said. We'll do the usual buddy checks after we seal the helmets. Let's do it. Connor lowered his helmet over his head and listened to the reassuring click of the locks snapping into action. He ran his eyes over his helmet's head-up display and cross-checked life support and comms with Parry. Then he led the way back out onto the hillside. Parry closed the container door and Connor secured the padlock and pocketed the key. A hiss of static crackled in Connor's helmet, but that was nothing unusual. The comms channel always picked up some kind of interference when they were out on the hillside, but although there were plenty of theories as to the cause, no one had been able to solve the problem. We'll climb a little first, Parry said, pointing. I want to go around that rocky outcrop and then drop down to the wall. Connor gave him a thumbs up. Go ahead. Parry started up the slope, setting a good pace despite the cumbersome suit, and Connor followed, with John close behind him and Finn trailing a little at the back. This is it, Connor told himself. We're really going to do this. We're really going to climb down to the wall. That's the end of the chapter. And I think that's where we'll uh, leave this uh, episode for this week. I sometimes do two chapters, but it does take longer to uh, record and then to edit the sound recording. So there's only so much time I've got. If you are enjoying it, please do subscribe either on your favourite podcast provider or over on the site at eclectivescifi.com. Comments always welcome over on the site. If you're enjoying it, if you'd like to hear something else, please let me know. There's also a fledgling newsletter over on the site, eclectivescifi.com. And there you should be able to, in future, get some little snippets of sci-fi books and special offers that I am trying to encourage writers to send in to me so that I can share them with you. So there's a fledgling newsletter. It goes out once a week on Fridays. And if there isn't anything new, just don't get a newsletter. So, you know, it's not one of those that you're going to get bombarded with stuff. 
So thank you very much for listening. I've been Mikey Campling and now I'm going to hop off through a tear in the old space time continuum once more. So thank you and goodbye. <laughs>